You're listening to BCJ, Victoria College Chat. Okay, let's do waves. Uh, I think in this podcast I'm going to do waves, I'm going to do sound waves, I'm going to do the EM spectrum. Uh, but what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to do refraction lenses and dispersion because they're quite a hard one. So I'm going to separate those out and do them in a separate podcast. And of course if you're only doing call then you don't even need to listen to that separate podcast I don't think. Let's start with waves. What are generally waves? Well, I think we can all sort of know from having seen uh, the waves out on the sea. We're lucky enough to live by the sea here, so uh, waves are all pretty familiar to us. But what they are is a transfer of energy. The particles that are carrying them, uh, if they are mechanical waves and are being carried by particles, of course light waves aren't carried by particles at all, but the particles that are carrying them stay in place and it's the energy that's transferred. So essentially waves are a, ma- a way of transferring energy. Now, waves radiate out from a source and have a direction of travel. And the direction of travel is at 90 degrees to what we would call the wave front. So. If you imagine the waves crashing in on a beach, if we drew a line across the top of a peak, that would be a wave front, and that wave front at every position along the wave would be at 90 degrees to the direction of the wave's travel. So if it was travelling in on a curved bay, the wave front would be curved, and the direction of travel would change as you went round the bay, because the wave front and the direction of travel are always at 90 degrees to each other. Now, waves clearly have a speed because those wave fronts move forward with time. You've seen the peaks uh, rolling into the beach. So those uh, wave fronts move forward in time even if the particles that are creating them stay in place. And so waves have a speed and like any other speed it's measured in meters per second. They also have a wavelength. There is a physical distance between each peak and that represents wavelength and of course wavelength is measured in meters and they have an amplitude the amplitude is the height of the wave from the equilibrium position so the height of the wave from where it would be if the water was flat so we're talking about waters on the beach or the depth of the trough compared to where it would be if the water were flat so is the displacement from the equilibrium position. The maximum displacement from the equilibrium position is the amplitude. So for ocean waves that's how tall they are and is therefore measured in meters. For sound waves it's how loud they are. For electrical waves it's uh, maybe what their voltage is. So what amplitude is measured in changes entirely depending on what type of wave we are talking about. Um, and they have a frequency. If you stand in the ocean, you're going to get hit by so many waves a minute. They're coming in with a frequency. And a really regular wave, now ocean waves aren't particularly regular, but a really regular wave will hit you with exactly the same frequency. You'll get the same number hitting you every minute. For waves that are moving slightly faster, the number hitting you per minute is not really a very good or useful um, Measurement, so we use the number hitting per second or the number of wave fronts that pass 
every second and that's called frequency and it's measured in Hertz which is a capital H and a lowercase z capital H lowercase z that's Hertz and the formula for Hertz is that frequency is equal to 1 over the time period for a wave so if we drew a wave on a graph that had time running along the x-axis the time it took for one complete wave would be the time period usually written with a capital T, it can be slightly confusing with temperature but normally you're not doing temperature calculations and time calculations at the same time so time period capital T so frequency is equal to 1 divided by capital T um, and frequency don't forget measured in Hertz uh, two different sorts of waves, there are transverse waves and there are longitudinal waves. Light waves are transverse, sound waves in air are longitudinal, sound waves in solids can be either transverse or longitudinal. Transverse waves are the ones that we're familiar with running along the surface of the ocean, that nice sinusoidal up and down. Longitudinal ones are a bit harder to picture, if you remember the a demonstration that we do of them is to get the slinky out and send pulses running along the slinky and what you see is areas where the slinky springs are close together and areas where the bits that make the slinky up are further apart and those pieces, bits where the areas are closer together are called compressions and the areas behind them where they're further apart are called rare fractions now that terminology is important uh, you need to learn it and I'm just checking that I said it correctly yeah I thought as much I said rare fraction it's rare faction without that second R rare faction so compression and rare faction and that's how sound travels through the air where there are compressions the air particles are just a fraction closer together and where there are rare fractions the sound particles are just a fraction further apart so it's longitudinal sound in air compressions and rare factions rare factions without the second half okay so what do waves do well as I've said they transfer energy They reflect, they refract, and they diffract. D-I-F-F-R-A-C-T-I-O-N. Diffract. And demonstrations of all of those are usually done in a ripple tank. Because the nice thing about ripple tanks is you can see the wave fronts rolling down and you can see how the wave fronts change. So you may well be asked to draw on any one of those happening as if it was happening in a ripple tank so reflection those wave fronts bouncing off at a different angle or refraction the wave fronts bending slightly because there's been a change in the speed of the wave or diffraction the wave fronts going through a small gap and then spreading out into curves okay reflection refraction and diffraction and all waves do those three things and you've got to be prepared to draw those three things and you need to be able to describe those three things in terms of wave theory now it's not especially difficult wave theory says that waves propagate forwards all of the time in semicircles now where there's lots of semicircles spreading forwards from a flat wave front they all cancel out and they create a new flat wave front unless of course there's a barrier in the way and then 
either side is cut off and only the centre gets through and instead of looking at creating a new flat wave front it creates lots of semicircles because that's how the waves propagate forwards so that's how you would dis explain diffraction refraction you explain by talking about the fact that the waves the semicircles um, are a bit closer together in a substance where the wave is travelling slower, that's usually with light, but we can do it in the ripple tank by changing the depth and making the wave slightly slower so that the waves are closer together, they have a shorter wavelength, so those semicircles as they propagate forward are closer together and when you try drawing that, you might remember that I did draw it on the board, when you try drawing that you find that the wave actually bends a little bit. Um, that's explaining it with wave theory. Of course, it's not how we all remember it. We all remember it using the thing you learnt in year eight, which is the tractor analogy. Tractor drives at an angle from a road onto a muddy field. One side of the tractor gets slowed down very slightly before the other side of the tractor, and the direction of the tractor changes slightly as a result. So that's an analogy. That's not an explanation using the wave theory. The explanation using the wave theory is that the wavelengths shorten and twist the direction of the light slightly as a result. And reflection, of course, is fairly obvious. The waves bounce off, still in their semicircles, still interfering with one another to produce those nice flat wave fronts as they've bounced off, whatever it is they've bounced off. They haven't been wiped out, they haven't been changed, just their direction has been changed by reflecting off something. And you remember that reflection off a nice flat surface, the angle of incidence, which is measured away from the normal, the normal being the line at 90 degrees to the surface, the angle of incidence is equal to the angle of reflection. Oh, that was exciting, wasn't it? That's from a uh, album put together on the free play of for Sports Extreme. 
I guess the idea is that you download that and you use that as the background track for all of your tricks on uh, some uh, skateboard or some such when you're uh, making your nice YouTube videos of all the exciting things you youths do. Not that I know anything about any such things. It's not physics. Um, let's just finish off sound before we move on to uh, EM Spectrum. Sound is... Um, a mechanical wave, i.e. it requires particles to be able to move, so you've got to have a medium for it to travel to, through. Normally we're used to sound travelling through air. Travel, sound travels through air at about 330 metres per second. Through solids and liquids, sound travels a fair bit faster than that, up to a couple of thousand metres per second, because the particles are that much closer together, so it's much easier to transfer on the mechanical wave. Um, it's longitudinal, as we said, in air, can be transverse in solids, but is uh, longitudinal usually. Um, it says, describe an experiment to determine the speed of sound in air. Well, we've done a very clever experiment with the laptops, where we measure um, a couple of sounds passing detectors that then give outputs onto the laptops. You could do a similar sort of thing with oscilloscopes if you didn't have kit that could be hooked up to the laptops. Or you do a very basic experiment where you stand outside a couple of hundred metres apart and bash something and measure the uh, sound when it arrives, having seen the bash uh, a little bit earlier. You can even use echoes. So if you've got a nice wall some distance apart, then you can stand only 100 metres away from the wall and your echo, of course, will take 200 metres to go there and come back again. And so using an echo can be a better way of doing a basic measurement of the speed of sound because you can do it all in one place and you've doubled the distance that the sound has to travel so you've doubled the time that you're doing your recording over. So lots of different ways you can record the speed of sound in air. Uh, as I say, it should come out at about 330 metres per second. Obviously you recognise that an echo is just a reflection, so it obeys all of the normal rules of reflections. And if they ask you to do calculations about the speed of sound involving an echo, don't forget that it's got to go there and come back again when you're doing your calculations. Quite often the distance gets doubled as a result of it. And the last thing that you need to know on sound is simply that the human hearing is between about 20 hertz and 20,000 hertz. So our frequencies we can hear between are roughly 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. Of course frequency when we're talking about the way we hear it, frequency corresponds to pitch, higher frequency, higher pitch, where amplitude corresponds to loudness, higher amplitude higher loudness and that I think covers sound it's easy enough you're listening to VCJ Victoria College Jersey so last bit in this podcast the EM spectrum you should be wise enough by now to know that the EM spectrum covers a big range of things of which visible light is just a tiny tiny little part but it's all the same stuff it's all a wave and it's a wave that oscillates in both the electrical and magnetic fields at exactly the same time it's not a mechanical wave it doesn't require particles so it travels through a vacuum in fact every single part of the electromagnetic spectrum travels at the same speed in a vacuum and that speed is 300 million meters per second it's the fastest thing that anything's allowed to go in the universe 300 million meters per second all all electromagnetic waves in a vacuum 
when they're not in a vacuum, when they're in something else, they can travel at very slightly different speeds, and different bits of the electromagnetic spectrum can travel at slightly different speeds. But in air, it's still pretty much 300 million meters per second. We don't worry about the fact that uh, there's the uh, it travels very, very slightly slower in air. When it goes into glass, as we'll discover when we talk about refraction, you'll find that it drops down to about... Uh, two-thirds of its value so the speed of light in glass or any EM wave in glass is around about uh, 200 million meters per second and there's a small variation between the speeds for the different colors of visible light and so there will also be variations for the different bits of the EM spectrum now the EM spectrum starts at the very bottom with the very longest wavelengths they can be enormously long, kilometers long and the very lowest frequencies with radio waves radio of course you know that we use to broadcast information on that information radio uh, but also television next one up becomes microwaves microwaves instead of now having wavelengths of kilometers or hundreds of meters uh, microwaves have only got uh, wavelengths of a centimetre or so and very very much higher frequencies they microwaves are used for broadcasting to and from satellites so all our sky telly is via microwave and microwave is also used for transferring um, information between mobile phones having stepped up in frequency we can deliver more information the higher the frequency goes the more information we can deliver for communications so where we can get one TV channel in in radio we can get hundreds in with our sky satellite carrying on up from there we get far infrared our bodies radiate far infrared because they're warm you know that from having done thermal if we keep going up we get into near infrared near infrared is radiated by things at sort of four or five hundred degrees C so our bodies don't radiate much in the near infrared it's called near infrared because it's getting near to the visible spectrum so the next bit up after near infrared is the visible spectrum the longest waves in the visible spectrum are red and red waves have a wavelength of about 700 nanometers so that's 700 times 10 to the minus 9 meters now I know that's not proper standard form but it's how engineers and physicists tend to think of it 700 nanometers 700 times 10 to the minus 9 is the wavelength tiny tiny wavelength blue the other end of the spectrum even shorter blue violet have a um, a wavelength of 400 nanometers getting a bit shorter but you can see it's only a little tiny chunk of the whole spectrum just from 700 nanometers to 400 nanometers when radio waves were out there at kilometers so the visible light really is a very very small part of the EM spectrum next up is ultraviolet most ultraviolet doesn't get through to us through the atmosphere because of the ozone layer lucky for us because uh, ultraviolet has enough energy uh, within ultraviolet light to actually drive chemical reactions and those chemical reactions can be bad for us can induce skin cancers 
And then if we keep on going up from UV, we get X-rays. Of course, we know that uh, X-rays are used in uh, medical scanners because X-rays just tend to go through things. Things have to be quite dense to stop X-rays. And so your bones stop the X-rays, the rest of your flesh don't, and it's possible to use X-rays to form an image of the bones within you, even though there's all that flesh getting in the way. The X-rays tend to ignore the flesh and only really be stopped by the denser bones. So we can use that to take a picture of what's going on inside you. And then the final one, right at the very top, gamma rays. Gamma rays are used for killing bugs. So if you wanted to sterilise surgical instruments, you could shine gamma rays at them, and that would kill all living cells on there, and so kill all the bugs and sterilise them by using gamma rays. They can also do some um, medical uh, measurements with gamma rays. Or we can use gamma rays to actually kill tumours because they will kill cells. So if we concentrate several beams of gamma ray at a tumour, they'll kill the fast dividing cells in the tumour and hopefully not kill as much of the normal, less dense flesh that surrounds the tumour. So, what do you have to know about all of this? Well, you have to be able to use the wave equation. You have to be able to use that all the way through that. The wave equation says the speed of a wave is equal to its wavelength multiplied by its frequency. Speed of a wave is equal to wavelength times frequency. Normally I write that down as C is equal to lambda f. C being speed of a wave, usually just speed of light, but you can use it for any wave. C is the speed of a wave. Lambda, that Greek letter, looks like an upside down Y, is the usual uh, symbol for wavelength. And then lowercase f is the symbol for frequency. So speed of a wave is equal to wavelength times frequency. So if I told you that um, red light was 700 nanometers and I told you that the speed of light was 300 millimeters per second, you could divide 300 million by 700 times 10 to the minus 9. Well, maybe you couldn't, but you can get your calculator to do it, and that'll give you an answer for the frequency of red light. So need to be able to use the wave equation need to be able to uh, give a use for most of the different chunks of the electromagnetic spectrum. Well, I've just run through some uses there as I've listed them. I don't think I gave any uses for UV, um, but uh, we've talked about security marking with UV. The fact that uh, UV dyes are used on your uh, paper money, so that when you shine it under a UV light, those dyes show up in the visible, and we all know that it is real money, because it's quite hard for a forger to reproduce all of those ultraviolet dyes, so security marking will be a use for ultraviolet. So you have to learn the EM spectrum, you have to learn all the constituents of it, you have to learn the uses for the different bits, and you have to be able to use the wave equation. And then there's one little more wrinkle in the higher paper, it says here, you must be able to use the term monochromatic. Chroma is Greek for colour, mono is Greek for one, and so if we put the two together it means one colour. So it means EM radiation of a single frequency. Monochromatic, EM radiation of a single frequency, and because we're talking about colour, normally we mean it's in the visible spectrum, but sometimes you do do it monochromatic used to talk about infrared or ultraviolet light. It means it's got a single frequency. So lasers and LEDs are monochromatic. They only produce a single frequency of light. They're different to things that are producing light because they're hot. Things that are producing light because they're hot create all of the possible wavelengths. 
things that are producing light uh, through other methods like lasers and LEDs only produce a single wavelength they are monochromatic and I think that just about does it for this podcast so there you go only really one equation the wave equation C equals lambda F one new unit Hertz for frequency capital H lowercase z when you write it